אתה שמח, אותי אתה סוחף, ואם אתה עצוב, אני לך כתף, בבית, ברחוב, ברא וגם בטוב, כל הזמן תמצא אותי קרוב, אומרים טוב עם השניים וכמה זה נכון, ביחד זה יותר חזק מניצחון, ואהבת ירח כמוך, זה הכלל הראשון, Okay, everyone. Tonight's shir was sponsored by Yaakov Goldfinger, and this is in honor of his mother's yard site, which last night I would have said tomorrow night, but tonight it actually is tonight. Dalet Tevis, the yard site. Grina Bas Rav Yitzchak, may her neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May she channel lots of brachas to you. Yashikoyach Gadol. The shir was also sponsored by Felix Medvedev. And this is Luschus, the neshama of Gershon ben David, a very special Yid that I knew. And he always had found tremendous chen. A Russian Yid used to come around to the shuls. A Yid, you can see, has gone through a lot and suffered a lot. He was seeking help and people would help him. I helped him many times. We all gave him donations. But there was something very, very sweet and special and very beautiful. You can see it in his eyes. Mamash, a beautiful neshama. Um, may he rest in peace. And may this shir be a, a big schus for his soul. And I'm sure that that unique soul can bless all of us. A humble, beautiful Jew. And which you know, we see him on the street. But there's so much to his life that we don't know about. And may the tremendous blessing of his beautiful neshama, of what he's done and accomplished in this world, and give us big bracha. And Bezus Hashem, um, we should see already Moshiach. Uh, another dedication was by Saul and Bunya Newman, and this is in honor of their daughter's birthday. A happy dedication, Baruch Hashem. Their daughter, Sarah Fekia, which was on Monday... Zois Hanukkah, Beis Tevis. So I want to wish her Shnas Bracha Natslacha, and I wish you, want to wish you and your family, uh, the, the Newman family, much nachas from all your children, from her and from all the other children. Gesundheit and Freilacheit. Thank you. Another dedication was by Yasi and Chaya Grodin. This is in loving memory of their dear son, Yehuda Aryaleh ben Yosef Moshe. May his neshama, whose yard site this was in Zeis Hanukkah, may his neshama have a tremendous, tremendous aliyah, and may you only celebrate happy, happy occasions from now on and onward. And Be'ezus Hashem, and may he channel lots of brachas to you and to your family, and may you be reunited with your dear son, Be'ezus Hashem, very, very soon, with the coming of Mashiach and Tchiyas HaMesim, which is much, much closer than we all imagine. Last but not least, the CD dedication this week is by Mayon Yisrael. We, over here, are dedicating this CD with great joy and happiness and honor of our dear, dear friend, Reb Shleimah Goldner, in honor of 
his birthday. So I want to wish you, Reb Shloim Eshnas, Bracha Natzlacha, Mazel and Bracha, and only happiness for you and your Mishpacha, all that you need, all that you want, all the time. And may this be a year that goes down in your memory as the most fantastic year ever. Such bracha, such great light. And the Ebsha should help you that uh, you should be able to not only continue, but grow in your goodness and kindness and help all the people you want to help with only, only simcha and good things. Thank you so much. Shnas bracha natzlacha and a happy, happy birthday. Okay. Now we are ready to begin. Uh, tonight's class I'd like to dedicate, uh, being that we're coming off from Hanukkah, just a little last licks on Hanukkah, and connecting it to the month of Teves. I'm not going to focus on the parish of Ayigash, although the concept and the idea fits very well into parishes of Ayigash, but we're going to omit that for now, <clears throat> because I don't know if time will allow us. In any case, uh, the... Um, the last days of Hanukkah, Shabbos and Sunday, not Mamrish, the last days, was not only Hanukkah, but was also ushered in a new month, the month of Teves. And um, what's unique about Chaydish Teves is that it's um, strange. On the one hand, there's not much to look forward in, in Teves. Teves is kind of a bland month. Kislev has got Hanukkah in it. And Shvat, at least we have two B'Shvat, and others is already Purim, and there's excitement. Um, Teves is not much in Teves. There's actually a very dark day in Teves. There's Asara B'Teves, which Asara B'Teves is a fast day, and uh, it's a day associated with great negativity. It's actually the, the first, it's considered the most severe fast day in certain respects regarding... Uh, regarding the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. So it's, it's a day associated with darkness and the onset of exile. We know there are four fast days associated with the Chorban Beis Amigdash, the destruction. Two of them are in the summer. One of them is, uh, that's Shavasa uh, Tamas and Tishabav. And then you have Tzem um, Gedalia, uh, which is connected to it as well. And then you have Asara Betavis. Tishabav, the Beis Amigdash, was destroyed. The 17th of Tammuz, the, uh, they breached the city. The armies breached the city as they, and that, you know, pay or enable them to go and complete the destruction of the, of the Beis Amigdash, of the Holy Temple. So these are very, very dark days. But um, uh, three years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar and Samach Melech Bavel, the king of Bavel, and his armies, vicious armies, laid siege on the city of Jerusalem for the first time, and which later resulted in its destruction. Because it's the onset and the very beginning of all the darkness, there's a severity in this fast that if, hypothetically, Asara B'tavis would come out on Shabbos, we would fast even on, it can't come out on Shabbos, on our calendar. Um, but if it would, we would fast even on Shabbos. That's showing how significant and how severe the day is. So it's a very dark day. Other than Tavis, there's not much happening on Tavis. Um, there is a Yantif for Hasidim, for Chabad Hasidim that celebrate actually tomorrow night called Hey Teves, which is a great celebration. You know, in, in um, Hasidim take what it says seriously. In, in, in the Ramah, in Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah writes at the very conclusion of Shulchan Aruch, the last words of Erechayim. Of Shulchan Aruch Erechayim, the Ramah speaks about Purim Katan and he says, Toiv leiv mishtetame, the good heart is always drinking. Well, Hasidim, in general, Chabad Hasidim in particular, take that 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 is that that uh, Ramah very seriously, and there's always a party. 
there's always something going on. Some one of the seven rabbeim, someone someone went, went out of jail, some other victory. Hey, Tavis is the victory of the Sfarim. Chabad, it's known as Didon Natsach. It's a great Yom Tif, and we should talk about it another time. These things are not just, okay, it's cute, okay, something happened, and therefore let's turn it into another Yom Tif. These are very deep developments in the world being uh, 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 moving towards its goal. Um, but that's a, 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 a parsha onto its own. General, however, traditionally, Tavis is a very dark month. And again, the significant day in Tavis is Asarab Tavis, which is a day of darkness. And the strange thing is that Davka Chaydish Tavis is a Chaydish that begins in the middle of a Yom Tif. It begins on Hanukkah. And what's strange is the contrast. Because Hanukkah is a very powerful Yom Tif, not just a Yom Tif. It's a very significant Yom Tif, and the, the lights of Hanukkah is the greatest lights. It's such great light that it's really futuristic light. It's not even from, from these days, it's from the future times. Where do we know that? We see that in the idea that Hanukkah is eight days. And we know that number eight is associated with the redemption, with the future redemption. Seven is the number of nature. Everything in the world is made up of seven. Nature is seven. We discussed it many times. Especially the Shir on Hanukkah last year. It was a Shir, we spoke about the significance of eight and seven. But we mentioned it in many other times. Seven is nature, like we see there's, in time, there are seven days in creation. There are seven aspects to space, the six directions and the center point. There are seven lands in Eretz Yisrael, which are the root of 70 nations, 70 languages, seven colors in the rainbow, seven musical notes. Seven continents, what else? Seven heavens. So many things of seven. Seven is the cycle of time. Seven is nature. What's number eight? Number eight is eight represents, is indicative of that which is beyond nature, which is God, the creator. He created nature, he created the world, the construct of nature. He's above nature. But then it's not eight, that's number one. It's not associated with creation. So why is it number eight? Eight is, is you counting seven plus one. So the idea of number eight is it's the attachment of Hashem to the world. And that's Moshiach. Throughout all the dark, the times of Golos, we work the project and the objective is to attach God to the creation. And the ultimate realization and attachment of the Ebershter to the creation Results in, Moshiach, results in Mashiach, and that's number eight. That's why right at the beginning of the first Giyula, which was when we, when we went out of Mitzrayim, and, we, and the big miracle happened, when the sea split, at that time, um, the first words that were uttered by the Bnei Yisrael were, Uz Yashir Moshe, Uz. So the Kliyakar says that Uz is Aleph Reichev al The Aleph is sitting above the seven. That means that the Aleph and the seven is also the seven constellations, seven mazalis. Um, so Aleph Reichev Al Zion means I'm sorry it's called Shiva Koichve Leches not the, not the constellations that you got 12 but there are 7 Koichve Leches whatever, they, whatever that represents star element and the Aleph being on top of that means that there is a the, the uh, it's referring to Hashem that, that imbues the seven and empowers the seven and is above the seven, emerges with the seven. And that's Mashiach. That's where Mashiach will come when there is the revelation of 
that which is Hashem being revealed in the world, the infinite, in the finite, when Mashiach will come, we know that we will discover the eighth dimension as expressed in the idea that when Mashiach will come, music was going to be tremendously enhanced because we're going to have the eighth note. The Gemara says that the kinar, the harp that was in the Beis Amigdash in the past, the harp, harp of David HaMelech was a harp of seven strings. And the one of, of Mashiach is going to be of eight strands. So obviously we can't imagine what music is with an eighth note. That, that's the transcendental, that's the Ein Sof, that's that magic that's going to be revealed, that's going to cause us all to have everlasting joy and happiness in that eighth note. And kinar is very significant because kinar is, comes from two words. Kinar is chavav ner. Ner refers to the, to, to the, to the, to the neshama. Ner is the neshama. Chavav ner means the, the ner, the illumination of chavav 26, of the yudke vavke. Yudke vavke, that's Hashem. Hashem's light. So till now, even though we're experiencing in the Beis HaMikdash, for instance, in the past, we experienced God's light in the world, but it was still limited to the seven. It was Hashem's light, but it was, it was flowing through the construct of nature, and the natural order of things were blocking the full revelation of the, of the infinite. So the world was still in a state that even though it wasn't dark, but it could possibly become dark again. But then when Mashiach will come, we will have a revelation of Chavav Ner, that means 26 Ner, the illumination, the light, is going to be of, of 8 times 26, which is the 8th dimension, the f- powerful revelation of Mashiach Tzedkenu. That's why we see something also interesting. It says in Svarim that the name Yaakov and Yitzchak, actually all three, even more than that, Yosef, Yaakov, and Yitzchak, three generations. Their names are accurately gematria, the name of Yudke Vavke, Avaya, Yudke Vavke, tetragrammaton. Yosef is the gematria of six times Yudke Vavke. Yaakov is the gematria seven times Yudke Vavke. Yaakov is 182. At seven times Yudke Vavke, and Yitzchak is 208, which is um, eight times Yudke Vavke. So now we're going to leave Yosef for a moment. Let's just talk about Yaakov and Yitzchak. The reason why Yitzchak is eight times Yudke Vavke and Yaakov is seven times the numeric value of the Yudke Vavke is because Yitzchak represents the future. Yitzchak is the age of Moshiach. Ozium Yitzchak means laughter. We don't laugh today. Actually, it says in the Gemara, Asr Adam. It's for, forbidden to a person to lamale, to fulfill his mouth with laughter, Bizman Hazen, these days. Even though the Lubavitcher Rebbe said an interesting thing in one of his talks, that today's days, being that we're already in the, entering into Moshiach's era, that restriction has been removed. He associated with this that his father-in-law's name, which he saw his father-in-law as the Rebbe, he called him the Nasi Hador, the Rebbe of the generation. He was named as Yitzchak, which is laughter, which says that today's days we could already, we're already beginning to enter into Oz Pinu, into the time when our mouth can be filled with laughter. But it's a messianic thing. In the days of Mashiach, there will be tremendous laughter and we will truly laugh. So Yitzchak is in the future. Vatishak the laughter happens in the end of days. 
Yaakov is, so that's why Yitzchak is eight times Yudke Vavke, because when Mashiach will come, it's the eighth dimension that will be revealed. Yaakov represents the struggling Jew. The Jew that's doing the hard work during the time of exile, Yafamul Shvatim, if I'm sorry, from all our forefathers, Yaakov is the only one who actually goes to exile. He plows through the darkness. His name, Yaakov, actually represents fighting with a cave Esau. He's struggling with the heels, with the darkest elements of existence, the heels of the wicked, of Esau. Yud Ekev, the neshama coming down into the heels, into the darkness. And it needs to fight its way and burrow through the darkness. And that's, during that time, we, we have the holiness of seven but we don't have the revelation of number eight. So Yaakov is seven times uh, Yud Kevavke. Hanukkah, which is eight candles, is Mashiach. And that's why Mashiach, we know the name Mashiach, ends with the letter Ches, which Ches is number eight. And, the, and Hanukkah begins with the Ches. So Hanukkah is the light, the ultimate light, the infinite light. We might call it the Oyer Haganos, as it says in so many Svarim. It's the hidden light that was there at the beginning of creation, but then Hashem hid it and He's going to reveal it again in the days of Mashiach. So Hanukkah is Messianic. It's the future light. Teves, so, it's, so it's, it seems to be the worst Shidduch possible. Teves, which is a Chodesh of darkness and represents the epitome of darkness, the beginning of all, of all, uh, of all concealment, the beginning of the Golos, the seed of the exile, such a darkness that we would fast even on Shabbos. And here it goes, and, it co- and when does Chodesh Teves come out on, on, on Hanukkah? Very strange. Just a shidduch, the shidduch, co- the, these two coming together doesn't make any sense. The other thing that doesn't, and, and, and the interesting thing is that Davka Chodesh Teves, from all the Chadashim, is the only Rosh Chodesh that we say the whole halal. All other Rosh, Rosh Chodesh, we say what's called Chatzi Hal, even though it's not half, but it's most, but still we leave out two pieces of the halal. But on Chodesh Tevis, we say the entire halal. So the question is, why does... Now, yeah, simply it's because it's comes from Hanukkah. So it's not, you're not saying it because of Tevis, you're saying it because of Hanukkah, but everything in the Torah is accurate. Why would you dafka in Chodesh Tevis say the whole te, uh, uh, halal that you don't say any other time? So we need to appreciate what is the significance and what is the greatness, what is the deeper meaning of Chodesh Tevis? Now, obviously, this very, very dark day has a deeper secret. And it's seen from the fact that when we count the months, it comes out that Chodesh Tevis is the 10th month, Chodesh HaAsiri, it's the 10th month from Nisan. And when is Asara Tevis? What's that, that fast day, the dark day? That we, it comes out on the 10th day of the 10th month. Now, isn't that amazing? We know how important the number 10 is and how... It's the number of completion. Ten, they, God created the world with ten utterances. The purpose of creation was that the Torah should be given, and the Torah was given with ten commandments. And then you look at an entire chapter in Pirkei Avis, in Ethics of the Fathers, in which there is a list of everything significant that comes in ten. Ten generations from beginning of creation to Noah, ten generations from Noah to Avram. Avram you know, has ten tests, and ten there is ten miracles, and uh, sorry, and this ten plagues. And, uh, and ten miracles in the Beis Migdash, and ten and ten, so many things, and Mepharshim add even so many more things, and then Kabbalistically there are ten Sefirot, and the first letter of Hashem's name is Yud, I mean it goes on and on, ten is the perfect number, so we can, and that's why Yom Kippur is the tenth day of the seventh month, now you have the tenth day of the tenth month, this is Kodesh Kadashim, the Holy of the Holies, 
And what do we? And, and it's the darkest day. So we have to say that embedded in this very dark day is really, really, really the biggest light. And that's why Chodesh Tevis gets to say the whole halal. So let's really explore what the secret of Chodesh Tevis is. So here's an interesting thing. To add to the darkness of Tevis, let's even look at it physically. Physically, we also see that Tevis is a dark month, simply. Because in the northern hemisphere, in which Eretz Yisrael is part of, and in which most of civilization is on, most of human civilization, is in the northern hemisphere, we have that the, 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 the time of Teves is winter. And what's the state? What, what's the, uh, what does winter mean? It's short days and very long nights. And this is not just a phenomenon. It's Rashi talks about it's Torah. Rashi refers to the long nights of the winter as Lele Teves HaRuchim. The long nights of Teves. Even though winter extends beyond Teves, but we specifically designate Teves as the, as, the, as the very, very core of winter. Also, it's the coldest time of the year. Also, look in Parshas Noach when it speaks about the different seasons, the six seasons. So I think the coldest one is called Kur, and Rashi says that's Chodesh Teves. So again, not just Tevis, but others part as well. But Tevis is right, right at the, the core of winter. Now, darkness and coldness is associated with unholiness. Kedusha is light. Holiness is light. Everything is associated with Torah mitzvahs. Kiner mitzvah, Torah or Torah is 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 or is light. Mitzvah is ner. Anishama ner Hashem nishmas adam. Hashem is the light of the world. Yerushalayim, Oyroyshalaylam. Everything that's associated with goodness and holiness, it's always associated with light. The the klipa, the, the forces of, of, of impurity, they're, they're called the, the forces of darkness. So when you have short days and long nights, it's indicative of a very, if it's physically dark then, it's because it's spiritually dark. And the same is also in terms of coldness. Kedusha is life, and life is chamimus. When there is, a living being is warm. Warmth is life. A sign of life is warmth. So therefore, um, to be, to be a, a, a holy Jew means to be a warm Jew, to be fired up. A mitzvah should be done with passion, with fervor, with life. When we're feeling cold, when our Yiddishkeit is icy, we're in big, big, big trouble. There is a sign of a dominance of klipa, of the unholy, the sitra achra. The sitra achra on the other side is cold and different. So here we have all the ingredients, teves, of the extreme darkness. But yet we said a moment ago that teves is really embedded in teves. Ten of ten, the greatest of days. So how does that work? So let so the Gemara actually says something interesting about the coldness of Teves. In Megillus Esther, it discusses the, the, um, when, when, when Achashverosh took Esther. So Achashverosh had this uh, beauty, um, what is it called? Pe- pe- um, whatever, beauty, let's put it, let's call it a beauty contest. Where they, we was looking you know, to, to find a wife. 
and he had all the girls come, and uh, they, the, the Megillah describes how each one was brought to spend time with the king. But the, the Megillah emphasizes that Esther was taken in the tenth month. So the Gemara says in Mesechtas Megillah that this was divinely orchestrated, that Esther should be taken in the, in the tenth month, and the reason is because that's the Yereach, that's the month, Shahaguf Nehena Menaguf, that the body enjoys the body. Go back to what we said before. It's cold. And being that there's especially, since it's cold outside, there's generally a certain coldness, so the body is looking for warmth. So it enjoys the company of uh, the intimacy, another warm body next to it. So Achashverosh, Hashem made that Esther, Rashi actually sees it as a positive thing. The Marsha sees it as a negative thing, but the Rashi sees it as a positive thing that Hashem orchestrated that Esther should be taken to Achashverosh during that time so that Achashverosh should have an extra uh, affection and love and satisfaction from her. That's why she came, Davka, during the, the month of Aguf Nehenem and Aguf. So we know that everything in the Torah has a physical meaning, but obviously there is deep, deep spiritual meaning behind it, especially in the parts of the Talmud that are Agadata. Over there, Agadata means more Midrashic. Over there, for sure, we have to consider the mystical, hidden secret behind it. Achashverosh and Esther are, are a mashal, are a metaphor of Hashem and the Jewish people. In general, it says every time it says Hamelech and the Megillah, it's referring. It says King in the Megillah. It's referring to. Um, it's referring to. Uh, it's referring to Malkish Alolam, the King of the World, and particularly. But, but, but it says on Achashverosh as well, because Achashverosh comes from the word Achris Veracious Shaloi, the beginning and the end. Which King? Melech Shasholim Shaloi, Achris Veracious Shaloi, the beginning and the end. This to him, it's referring to God, Esther is referring to the Shekhinah, which the source of all the Jewish neshamas, Knesset Yisrael, we're Esther. And Chodesh Tevis is the time when Haguf Nehenes Men Haguf. What that means is that God enjoys our closeness in Chodesh Tevis more than any time. But what He enjoys primarily is, the, is what is considered this physical intimacy. That's when highlighted in Chodesh Tevis. What's the physical, well, how do you, what does this mean when we talk to Hashem? Obviously, we realize that we're dealing with something very, 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 very high. What does this mean? The emphasis over here is haguf nehena menaguf. The body enjoying the body. There is these more spiritual closeness of a couple. No, here we're talking about a physical intimacy. And that's the Abishter's enjoyment of the Jewish people in Chaydesh Tevis. So what's the secret behind it? And again, this intimacy is specifically enjoyed because it's cold. Which means it's the very, very challenge to our religiosity, to our closeness to God, to our observance, to our connection. It's the, it's the intensification of the unholy that enables, that facilitates this extra pleasure and this extra depth of connection. So to understand this, we need to appreciate uh, how our marriage with the Eberster works and how Judaism is really in a state of progression. That even though what might look like externally as a state of regression throughout history, in which we once had big tzaddikim, and we once had a beautiful people, and we once had a closeness to God, and once upon a time, one of the things that I hated so much that, that, I, that I, I, not hated, I should say, that, 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 that didn't speak to me, I should say, 
in, in my pre-Hasidic uh, experience of Judaism. And that was so refreshing when I started learning Hasidus and, and, and I realized was, was that, in, that I, 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 the, the, there is a very strong emphasis, I don't know why, but there's a strong emphasis when you're not learning Primius Torah, when you're not exposed to the deeper appreciation of Yiddishkeit, there's a very strong emphasis on the idea of Yerida Sadoros, that we're always going down, down, that Judaism is spiraling down. I call that once upon a time Judaism. It's a very, 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 very unhealthy attitude, even though it's true, because Chazal say, they speak about it, if the earlier generations were like Malachim, we're like people, if the early generations were like people, we're like donkeys, and not like the donkeys. So there is that concept, and we appreciate that. But that doesn't mean that Judaism is going bankrupt. Doesn't mean that we're that we're that we're losing, that we're going down. Because why in the world would we want to be part of? Would anybody be excited? And why would the world would God set up a system that's going bankrupt? I mean, it's the most. It's and, and how is that inspiring to any of our children or to anybody to want to be part of such a Yiddishkeit that is just in a constant state of decline? That is so ridiculous. Now, I'm not arguing that there is a decline, but we have to appreciate. That as there is a decline, externally there is a tremendous incline. There's a tremendous gain happening. Our relationship with God is on the surface level, superficially on the outer level, is severely uh, taking a beating. But internally we're growing and our connection is reaching levels that are just beyond, beyond. So we're actually growing in our Yiddishkeit and getting much closer. With all the problems that you find, and they speak about by the Aguda Convention, and by all the other conventions of Torah Masorah, and all the problems that there is, and this and that, these are very big problems, but on the other hand, Judaism is unbelievably growing in its depth and its connection to the Abishta. So let's understand that, how that works. Well, let's take a look at a regular marriage, at an everyday marriage, and we use that as the metaphor. Not regular marriage, because no such thing as a regular marriage, but marriage in general is going to be used as a metaphor. When a couple get married, there is an initial stage of marriage. I'm not talking about the dating, I'm talking the beginning of a marriage. And we're what we call, they're excited about each other. They're very excited about it. They're in love with each other. There is a fiery romance going on between them. And we watch these couples getting married. We, I say, the people that are already married for 20, 20, 30 years, and there's a certain like, oh, come on, wow, look at that, that's so beautiful. And we, uh, there's, there's, there's a certain <laughs> pleasure in seeing such, such excitement for each other that the young couple has. In a sense, we wish we could have that same kind of an excitement regarding to our spouses and our, and our marriages that are already at a more mature state. But there's something that... That, that, that really needs to be appreciated. That initial state of excitement about each other it doesn't last that long. I mean, hope, you know, every marriage is different, and hopefully the Shana Rishayna excitement can carry on, not just the Shana Rishayna, but let's say hopefully to Shana Hamishis or Shana Shishis to the fifth year, sixth year, or whatever, maybe ten years. But there is a certain point where kind of that stops. And it needs to stop. For the marriage to advance to what marriage is really all about, it needs to stop. And the couple need, and, and here's the thing, when they go through the, the, the conclusion of that stage, and they haven't yet realized, there's usually a period of time where they haven't yet realized the next stage of marriage, it's a kind of a, a dangerous state for every marriage. And sadly, some marriages don't make it through to the next stage and get stuck chas v'shalem in, in that, in that uh, middle state where they've lost their initial excitement but they have not yet matured to the real true depth of what it really means to be married.
But let's really understand that a little better. The initial stage of a marriage, when you're excited about your other or better half, the initial state is you're excited. What are you excited about? You're excited about things about your spouse. The, you're, you're excited about their qualities. Because, you know, why marry this person out of other... There's a few billion people on the planet. Why are you going to commit your life to this one individual? Obviously, it's your mind. But what you're really liking about the other person is you're liking their... You're attracted to them. What? Your mind appreciates certain qualities. And these are, these are qualities that make you feel good. These are prop qualities that are significant to you, that are appealing to you. And we all understand that what is, what, is, what is appealing to one person is not appealing to another individual. It's every person is different and everybody's got a different, different personality and different needs which they need in order which they feel that these are things that are going to make, you ha- make, make me happy if I have so-and-so. Okay, so let's say we are really, really, really superficial, really silly, okay? A, a, a husband loves his wife because she's beautiful, okay? He's, he's, just, he's just taken by her looks. She's so attractive, he's, 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 he's uh, drawn to her. On the other hand, she loves his, let's say, sense of humor. She just loves, he's so witty, he's so funny, she, he makes her laugh, and laughter is the best medication. It takes away her stress, it makes her feel so good being around him, Okay? And now they get married. And again, I'm, 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 I'm adding, now we can, we can add to all of that. It's his kindness and his uh, being nice and smart and so on and so forth. And it's her edelkeit and refinement and, and, and whatever. And all the other things about her that, 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 that he appreciates in his wife as being very, very special. Her compassion and caring and whatever else. And these are things that he really admires and she admires about, about him. And that's why you got, and that's your attraction. And that's why you're getting married. Now, every time that happens, what they realize is that that relationship is not coming and it's not stemming from the very you. It's stemming from your mind. Because it's your mind that appreciates these things and it's your mind that is seeking these qualities and it's your mind that is connecting and, and uh, enjoying, let's say, these qualities in the other individual. Now, the mind is a very big part of ourselves, but it's not us. It's not us. It's not our deepest self. It's one of the koiches anefesh. It's not your very, very you, as we discussed in many classes. The etzam anefesh is far, 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 far greater and deeper than the mind. So when you're connecting to the other person because of an appeal in which they're appealing to your, to you on some level of, of a saying of, of a person's intellect and a person's mind, it is, a, it is, a, it, it's a certain chitzaynias. Because what you're loving is not the other individual, you're loving their qualities. You're loving what you are going to get out of them, that you're loving. And what are you going to get out of them? What they can give you, and what can they give you? They can give you their, their qualities. It's something about them that you love. Now, as the couple, you know, gets married, and they live together for 10, 15, 20 years, he's not so funny anymore. Either because he's been through life and uh, the day-to-day grind of having to make a living and all the other hardships are kind of wearing and down on him and he's therefore not as humorous and as funny and always in such a good mood. Or it's just that she's heard already all of his jokes and now they're falling flat. And he's not interesting anymore because of his humor. Uh, Her looks, she's very good looking still, but you can say maybe she's seen better days. 
And even if he liked her because of her looks, I mean, how long is that exciting? After a while, you know, gets, he, can get, he can get bored of her beauty. So now, what happens? Where is their relationship going now? So here's the situation. Um, it's at a certain point where you realize that it's not the qualities, these particular qualities about you that I'm excited about that makes me drawn to you. It's, it's, it, 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 it's going much deeper. What's happening? I, I, I really, actually you figure out, you begin to see many flaws in your, in your partner. Things that you maybe didn't see earlier and now, and these things can be very irritable. You can be very irritated by your, your spouse. And again, if your marriage is based on what you're getting from each other, at this point, it could be that, the, that there are certain, uh, certain negatives that even overpower the positives. So what happens? Does that mean the marriage is over? Now you can actually start getting to the truth of marriage. The real idea of marriage is, marriage is that the two, husband and wife, are really, really one entity. You and your wife are really one singular being. Why? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go back to the first couple. When Hashem created Adam and Chava, Hashem did not create them as two individual be- beings and said, get married. Hashem created Adam and then he saw everybody has a spouse and he didn't. And Hashem put him to sleep and took her from him, took her rib. And basically what that really means is that when you're getting married, your bashert is really yourself. It's your other side. And therefore, the maturity of marriage is when you reach a point, when you reach an appreciation, it's not necessarily always like intellectually conscious, but it's a certain reality that just kicks in slowly and it reaches a certain, uh, it, 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 it becomes a fundamental deep awareness that you might not even appreciate, as I say, say it intellectually, but just becomes. And that is the situation, is that, is that awareness when you realize that I cannot live another day without my wife. I cannot be one day without my husband. That means I can't see myself being alive without this person. You are just me. And without you in my life, I have no life. And it's not because of what I get from you. It's not because you make delicious latkes. It's not because, you know, you support me and you take me on beautiful vacations. Or, you know, you give me your credit card. And that's why, and and therefore I, I feel that, you know, you're so... It's not that. It's, it's just a much deeper attachment. It's a recognition that I am you. You are me and I am you. There's a story told about a tzaddik in Yerushalayim. His name was Rabbi Arya Levine. He came to the doctor once with his wife. And the doctor said to him, No, Rabbi Arya, how are you doing? And he said, Baruch Hashem. The doctor said, Why are you here? He said, Her leg hurts us. So that's it. Her leg hurts us that summarizes marriage. And what he meant is not because her leg hurts her, she's in a miserable mood, she's, she's, she's in a lousy mood and, that makes me, and, 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 and that's why I'm miserable. Because when she's in a lousy mood, she drives me crazy. That's not what he meant. Her leg hurts us. That's this discovery, that's this recognition that her pain is my pain. Why? Because me and her are one. 
a husband and wife are called plagufa, half a body. Together they become one body. So her leg is her is 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 my is 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 is, is my her pain and her leg is my pain, even though physically I don't feel it, but I feel it. It's my pain. And her pleasure and her satisfaction is my satisfaction. So when you, when you reach the maturity in marriage, if you are able to please your wife, make her happy. And, and I'm talking about, you know, it can be little things, it can be in bigger things. You, f- you feel the deepest satisfaction because your wife is satisfied and she's happy. And a wife delights in that her husband is taken care of and he's, and, he, and he's satisfied. And it's her pleasure. His pleasure is her pleasure. I'm not talking about fireworks, ecstasy, pleasure, that kind of pleasure where you're like, I'm not talking about the romantic element that we spoke earlier. I'm talking about a much, much, much deeper oneness. And because it's so deep and it's so one, it's not so fiery. It's not so intense. But it's so absolute. And they're so inseparable. They have literally merged into one. Or rather, let's put it this way, they've uncovered their core oneness. And that's the true element of marriage. But you don't really reach that stage in marriage until you have a couple of fights. I'm not encouraging fighting. But what I mean to say is until the outer excitement wears off, where you can drop the excitement where I'm excited about you because of your external things, because of qualities, and I can just love you because I love you. And why do I love you? Because you're me. And I love my... It's really... It's, it's like the same love I have to myself. I love myself, I love you, because you are me. That's this love. Um, you know, we, we, we mention this all the time, just to give it a little, a little example, you can see it in other relationships as well. The relationship with parents and children is a similar relationship, which is, of course, an essential bond, where parents love their children because... But in children, it can many times be that a parent loves their child because their children are cute, because their children are smart, because their children are... So you begin to identify or, 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 or experience your love to your children because of the, the nachas they give you, because of the satisfaction they give you, because of something you get out of them. And that's called the avahatluya bedaver. It's a love that's dependent on something. It's not the true parent-child relationship. But then you have sometimes a situation when you have a, parents have a child where the child is severely, severely handicapped. Severely. And... On a level, on a conscious level, the child doesn't give them any nachas. Nothing, because the child is literally impaired on all levels. Sadly. And you see an amazing thing. You can watch parents that have children like that, that dafka these parents, with this child, they've, they're devoted, like beyond, infinite devotion towards the child. Night and day they care about this child, it's on their mind. They, they'll give up everything, they'll give up all comforts. Parents sometimes they will never go on vacation, they can't leave their, their child, is their everything. And you have no nachas. And in a sense, it becomes their attachment to this child is stronger than their attachment to their other children. And the reason is because by the other children, the external love can cover up. The mind, the love developed by the mind can cover up on this essential bond. But when a child is, has all these, uh, has this mental or physical uh, deficiencies, so the, there's no reason to love 
The love is the naked, essential love is fully exposed, and that love is infinitely deeper and stronger and absolute. And that's the same in a marriage. But a marriage is a little harder because you're, not, you're dealing with someone who's coming as a stranger into your life, and over the years where you have to uncover this essential oneness. Well, marriage is just a metaphor on our relationship with God. It's our relationship with the Abishter. With Hashem, it's the same thing. Hashem uh, chose us as a people and got married to us because we were the most beautiful. When Hashem came to Har Sinai, we were the most beautiful. We were the most attractive girl on the planet. He had no one else he could marry because they, everyone else was just incomparable to us. So of course, Hashem was like blown away by our beauty. Nishma Yisrael, we were the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We had so many qualities, so many milas. So many beautiful things. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Bardichev has the famous song, uh, Let's tell the, the milest, the qualities of the Jewish people. Rachmanim, compassionate, kind, uh, giving, uh, bashful. Um, and, then, and, that's, and according to the Tanya, that's just the qualities of our, of our animal soul that doesn't even begin to discuss the qualities of our neshama, of the Jewish neshama, how special. We're so brilliant, we're so smart, we're so good, we're so kind, we're so devoted, we're so... I remember the love of your, the kindness of your youth. You're so devoted to me. And on our end, we were also, we were, we, we were swept off our feet by God's magnificent greatness, His power, and all the, like, you know, we're a bunch of, you know, we couldn't compare Him to what, to who? To all the little shmendric gods. Look at our God. Look what he did to, to Egypt and to all their gods and all their powers. And the ten makis and all this. And he is a magnificent creator. And he created the world. And whoa! So of course. And he wants to marry us, of course. So when we got married to him, we got married to him through our mind, through our appreciation of his great qualities, and he loves us because of our great qualities that he expected. And our observance and Tehran mitzvahs and all the goodness and so on and so forth that we're going to do, and that's the reason for the relationship. And that's the essence of the bond, of the connection. Okay, it lasted for how long? It was, that was the romantic season. And how long did it last? First base of English, second base of English, whatever. But then things started getting rough in our marriage. It started getting bumpy and we, brought, we started having shalom bias problems. Because we did not, we, we started, you know, God saw us in the morning before we put on our shaitl, so to speak, and uh, really, really, you know, put on makeup and looked beautiful. The Abishter got to see us as we are, grumpy, sometimes not in the best of moods. And we were displaying our not such beautiful side to the Abish there. And full of complaining and uh, this. And then we started, you know, the Abish there couldn't bear the fact that we were paying attention to other gods or to this or to that. And we were not so loyal and not so devoted and not so observant and not so this and not so holy. Right? We were a holy people, but then we stopped being so holy. And all the qualities that made us so distinguishable from the other people we're not there anymore. Take a look at the Navi. Take a look how the Abishter expresses himself through the Navi of how he says, how he remembered us in our youth and how wonderful we are, but look what we look now. And the Abishter says, this is who I got married to? And if not from my promise to your fathers, I would already have dumped you a long time. <laughs> That's what the Abishter says. And we on our end went through a bitter exile where the Abishter was not so nice to us either. 
and we, we went through horrific persecutions. And it says, go take a look what the Jewish people said to the Navi, to Yecheskel. They came and they said, we have nothing on God. God has nothing on us anymore. After he mistreated us, after he's done what he's done to us, we don't know him anything. And the Abraham has to say to the Jewish people, with a sword I will be king over you. Don't you think that you will be able to get away from me? You're my wife and no matter what you are, you belong to you, whatever. And take a look at what happens after, that's still after the first exile, only after 70 years. Then came 2,000 years of where is the Abishtim when we need him? Where is our husband when we're crying out for help and he's not there? Where is God in the Holocaust? Watch that. Speak to the people who are so many people, so many Jews who've gone through what they've gone through. They felt that the Abishtim is not, they don't want to be in a relationship with him. Not they didn't believe in God. They do believe in God. But they said, I can't, you know, a God can allow this, can do this to me. I feel betrayed. Lost my whole, God forbid, I lost my whole family. I've seen take little babies and, and, and throw them in the air and shoot them like if they were, who knows, uh, targets. I mean, the most horrible things. After Auschwitz. So, all the reasons to be Jewish, all the explanations, all the, all the what we might call in this, we say, things kind of dissipated. And he should have, or could have, chas v'shalom, dra- dropped us a long time ago, and we could have, God forbid, gone astray and wandered off and looked for other relationships. And yet, three and a half thousand years later, there is a vibrant Jewish community. There is a vibrant Jewish people across the world. How many Jews put on tefillin today? How many Jews davened? How many Jews said a bracha before they ate and benched after they ate? How many yidn lich Hanukkah menorahs across the world? Imagine three and a half thousand years later. After we've gone through so much, we still can't leave go. Why can't we leave go? Because we can't be without Hashem. Why? There's no reason at all. It's just because because we are him. We are him. And he, he and his mitzvahs are it's not it's not like we're we're expecting we're gonna get Hashem is gonna do for us, uh, you know, we're gonna do a mitzvah, we're gonna get rewarded. Eh, that's not what it is anymore. It's, it maybe was once upon a time. Ulamahaba, these things were like exciting. It's not about that. It's about simply we're yidden because we're yidden. Why? Because we discovered how Jewish we are and how connected to the Ebeshter we are, and how we cannot be with, how we, how, and take a look even more than that, you have, in this generation, you have thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews, that have already been disconnected from Judaism, are coming back by the droves, are doing tshuva, returning to Judaism, why? There's no explanation. What are you going to gain from being Jewish? Nothing. No one is going to like you, and yet, and yet, why? Because Yidden have figured out that we are a godly people, and we are, and what Hashem cares about, we care about intrinsically, not because of anything, not because we're expecting something in return. It's nothing to expect, it just is. And God, on His end, also has, so to speak, matured in the relationship. What I mean by that is, that even though at the core, the, uh, 
this truth is the truth. If the Eberster is connected to us because he is one with us. But that has not been the way the Eberster, the, the, the Hanhaga, the conduct was, that Hashem was operating from, the mindset from where he was operating from, was one of what we might say is conditional love. If you're going to listen, I'll love you. And if not, I really will not like you. That was the mindset. Until when? Until the Baal came along. Why? Because the Baal is coming already in the end of Gaulus. The Baal is already coming to reveal the light of Moshiach. And what's the light of Moshiach? What's Moshiach's era? Moshiach's era is, the, is this, the revelation of the maturity of our marriage with the Ebershter. And That's why in Chazal it's called the completion of our marriage. Because when Moshiach comes, because when the Baal came, what did the Baal say? A Yid is a Yid. See, until the Baal we, the Jewish, we, when we judged each other, what made, what was, how did you value another Jew? You valued, valued another Jew by how many Blat Gemara he knows. If he was a scholar, if he was a London, if he knew how to learn, he was a Talmud Chacham, you, you had value, you had value. And if he was not, he was Talmud Shmagegi. Okay, he's a Jew, I have an obligation on Shulchan Aruch that I have to take care of him. But I had no, no appreciation for him, no uh, true deep respect. Comes to Balshemtev, turned it all around. The Balshemtev said, "No, Chas v'Shalom, a yid is a yid. You have any appreciation of what an neshama is? Chelak l'kaimim alamish is a piece of God from above. You love every Jew with infinite love. And Adarab, the simple Jews have a certain simplicity and a certain to attachment to Hashem that you don't, that the that the big lamdanim not necessarily are in touch with. And but here's the thing: the Balshemtev didn't only teach us how to look at Jews." The Baal Shem Tov taught the Abishter also how to look at Jews. What I mean, he taught God. People might get offended by what I'm saying. It's not that he taught. He uncovered. He, he shined the spotlight on the deep. He peeled away the outer layers from, so to speak, from the divine consciousness to uncover the essence of the bond of where the Abishter really loves us. He really loves us just because we are him. Not because of anything. That doesn't mean God forbid, okay, so if we're him, we don't have to keep his mitzvahs. Quite on the contrary. When we are him, we do his mitzvahs not because of anything, but because we are him. And he does the mitzvahs, we do the mitzvahs. If, if, if tefillin is important to him, it's important to us. Why? Because we are him. So therefore, how important is it? As important as it is to him. If you're doing a mitzvah because you want something out of it, you want some kind of personal refinement, you want to get some kind of schar, you want some olam haba, you want to receive something, then, then the value of it, the importance is, is how much value you ascribe to it, how important it is to you. But if you're doing a mitzvah for no reason at all, it's because it makes them happy, and why does it make it happen? You don't care. And it really doesn't make a difference. And he doesn't maybe also know in a sense, I don't mean no. It says mitzvahs are beyond any knowledge. It's, not a, it's, it's, it's his essential will. This is what he desires. And, you, and we desire a mitzvah just because it's the, because it's the Abraham, just like as we said earlier. Uh, does a wife need... A, a major philosophical explanation of why her husband likes his tuna fish sandwich like this with this particular you know lettuce and tomato and no cucumber in it no there's no reason explanation this is what he likes and when she makes him that sandwich and she sees he bites into it and, he's, and, he, and he enjoys it she's filled with delight just because he's happy that's what it is. That's where Yiddishkeit is at now. And we have to realize that for thousands of years, Jews didn't feel that way. They were, Yidin were caught up in the chitzainius again. And when I say chitzainius, I mean chitzainius of something very holy. Of course, chitzainius of God, chitzainius 
Olam Haba is also Chitzainias. It's external. The Balatanya, Chasidis, this is Chasidis. Chasidis is the maturity of the relationship. For thousands of years, we, we, we inspired people, you know, do mitzvahs, you'll go to Olam Haba. What's Olam? The Rambam talks about Olam Haba. He talks about the great, he talks about the, uh, all the work we do. To, we can, the, the pleasure of Olam Haba is so great. Comes the Balatanya, and he says, all over in his Svarim, it's all written all over. And this is really the whole theme of Chasidis. Is Eibesh I don't want you Ganed. I don't want your Olam Haba. I want you. I want what makes you. I want to be connected. I am you. I want you because I am you. We are one. Don't give me no Olam Haba. I want to see you happy. In Chasidus it says that the ultimate pleasure that's going to be after Tchiyas Hamesim is that we are going to feel God's pleasure of the mitzvah. How can you feel God's pleasure? The only way you can feel God's pleasure is because you are Him. It will be revealed that we are Him. This is. The ultimate connection. The ultimate union. But we needed to go through dark days in order to get to this. Because if we haven't gone through the dark days and we remain stuck in the... In the in, if, as long as the Abishta can love us because we're so smart, because we're, because we're so holy, or because we're so this and because of that, he himself doesn't realize that he loves us not because of all of that, just because. And, we, and, and, and as long as we haven't seen Hashem's, so to speak, dark side, we only saw His bright side, and we saw all the miracles, then we too get distracted, not by the darkness, we get distracted by the light. The qualities and the lichtekeit and the holiness and, the, and the, all these gewaldige, beautiful things cover up on the essence. It's not about any of this. It's about we are married, we are one. That's what it is. So for that, it takes us, it takes... It takes a destruction of the Beis Amigdash. It takes a big fight. It takes the destruction, the breaking down of the external chitzainius, the external elements of the relationship to expose something so much deeper and the inherent oneness of Yidin and the Ebershter, which takes, again, it was very dangerous. It took 2,000 years until we can come back to this, to come to the realization of this deeper bond and of this deeper oneness and of this deeper attachment of this core essential attachment between the Eberster and the Jewish people. And that's the deeper meaning of guf mehena mena guf. Body enjoys body. Body over here doesn't mean physical body. Gufa means the etzem, the essence. Chazal used the word guf a lot of times for the essence of something. It's the essence of God enjoying the essence of the Jewish people that is revealed tafka as a result of the darkness. Tafka as a result of the concealment. Tafka as a result of the hardship and of the gullus. That's the that's gufne. Till now we didn't have that. We'll also explain. So that's where you see an interesting thing. A little, a little when you look at Yaakov Avinu, you know, Yaakov was the precursor for the, our for our lives. I mentioned earlier. Yaakov is the example of the struggle of the Jew. So we find Yaakov being in his home, in Yitzchak's house. Then Yaakov leaves the house and he goes into the challenging world. He goes to Lavan, Charan, right? Then he comes back from Lavan, from Charan, and then he has to meet up with Esav. And Esav's Malach, and he gets an injury, and it's, it's, it's horrible. We know, take a, the story of Yaakov, I mean, that's, just, that, that's our exile for the last 2,000 years. Whatever Yaakov went through, being cheated, being, being mistreated, being abused, being physically threatened, escaping for his life, being 
being going having injury. So Chazal say that the, when he when he when he dislodged his hip, it's referring to Derish al Shema, the the generations of the Inquisition, generations of the Crusaders, the generations of the Roman uh, savagery and the, the, the persecutions of the Sararuga Malchus and all that stuff that we've been through. The blood and the hell that we've been through. Yaakov goes through all of that. And what does the Pasik say? Right when he comes back and he's like he finishes, he comes full circle and he vishafti He comes to his father's house. It says Vayova Yaakov Sholem. Yaakov comes complete. So Rashi says Sholem begufai. He was complete in his body. Sholem bemamayna. He was complete in his money. Sholem beterasi. He was complete in his Torah. In his body means he he, he didn't suffer any more of the injury. He was complete in his in his. Um, Money, which means he, even though he spent a huge amount to bribe Esau, he didn't lose anything, he had it all back. And finally, he was Shalom B'Tayrasa. It means even though he simply was in a situation for 20 years where he couldn't study, he was busy with the sheep, he didn't lose any of the Torah. He found that the Torah was complete, which is stunning. I mean, he just gave a huge bribe and he has all this money. He just spent 20 years absence of learning and still he has his entire Torah. There's something very, very deep over here. The next two, three psukim later, it says that Yaakov built the Mizbeach, and it says, So the Rashi gives two perushim. What does it mean Yaakov called it? This is in Parshish Vayishlach. You can look it up. It says, He called it Kela Lekei. simply means he called the Mizbeach Kela Lekei Yisrael. Rashi, however, brings a second pirush. Amazing pirush. It's, it's surprising to see it in Rashi. Vayikroloi Kela that Hashem called, not Yaakov called, Vayikra Loi, Hashem called him Kale. Hashem gave Yaakov a new name. You know what Yaakov's name is? Kale. Later it becomes Yisrael, but really it's Kale. What's Kale? Hashem called Yaakov Kale. Kale means divine. You are divine. Who called him Kale? Alekei Yisrael, the God of Israel. Think about what that means. And why now? That's the whole idea. That's exactly what we're talking about. As long as we are initially a creation. The Jewish people, the Ibsha created humanity. Jewish people are a people amongst humanity. And Hashem loves us. Rak, you know, Rak Hashem. The Ibsha designed you. Mikola Amen. Why? Because we were beautiful. But who are we? We're, we're limited creations, part of the created world. And God loves us. That's the Chitzanius relationship. But after we go through all the challenge and darkness, and yet we stick it out, not only we stick it out, but we're even more loyal to Him than we've ever been before. What is revealed? That the only reason we were able to do that is because, not because our, because our relationship is not from the outside, our relationship is at the core. Because we are him. So after Yaakov comes back from Gold, the Ebershter looks at him and he says, you are me. You're, you're not even human. You're my other half. You're godly. You're divine. And the Medrash actually says more than Rashi says. It's just that God creates worlds. You can create worlds. You're a creator. Unbelievable. The Abishta suddenly meets his other half. It, we are him. It says, the Gemara says, when Mashiach will come, the name of the Jewish people is going to be Yudke Vavke. We are him. The Malachim are going to say Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish to the Tzaddikim. So how can it say? No, we are him. That's the meaning when it says, when Mashiach will come, 
It says the moon, the moon is going to have the light of the sun. It's going to be as bright as the sun. What is the meaning of that? Not that it's, how's it going to be the bright as the sun? So the answer, its explanation is given in Hasidus, is that the moon is going to have its own light. It's not going to be receiving the light of the sun. Hold it, the sun is the Eberster, I mean, metaphor for the God. And we, the whole power of the Jewish peoples, we have nothing of our own. We're makablim, we're recipients. Lesle magar meklum, the moon doesn't have anything of its own. Yeah, that's in Gauls. We don't have anything of our own. We're a makabal. He's our benefactor. We have nothing. We receive everything from him. But through, we work our way through Gauls, we suddenly, and, and we uncover the depth, the chelik lekaim emal, the pintal yid, the yechidosh benefesh, the deepest point in our neshama, comes out dafka through the stripping away of all the outer layers, which include the, all, the, all the stuff that we lost. But in that lost, we uncover something deeper. And that depth is our essence of our neshama, that, that is godly, and then we're shining with the same light that the Abish, they're nothing less than him. We are as bright as he is, with our own light, and we don't have to receive the light from him. We don't have to, because we are him. And then of course, Shalom, of course he's complete. Does the Abish have any injury? Can God be deficient? Can he be lacking? He's perfect. So we are also perfect. Can God be lacking any money? Any funds? The Abishta has loya kesev, loya has infinite. So we don't even have anything lacking. See, if you have a certain limit, if you're receiving from someone, so, you know, if someone gives you a deposit, gives you money, let's say, you know, you have a you know, person got a Yerusha, or a person got a matana, a big gift, someone gave him. You start spending the money, and you start looking in the bank every day, it's less and less and less, because you're spending it. But if... But that's if you have a limited amount. But if you have Einsof, no limit. So Yaakov can give this huge gift to Esau and then he doesn't lose anything. The Torah also. As long as we're receiving, we're, we're taking the knowledge from some other source. It's the Eberster's Torah that he's giving it to us. The Nasallanu Es his Torah that he's giving to us, he's sharing with us his Torah. Then yeah, we don't learn for 20 years, you're going to lose it. But once it's in the, in the Zgala that Yaakov is Kale, so then, then the Torah is our Torah. It's, it's, it's us. So you can't lose it. That's the ultimate discovery. That's the ultimate depth of this oneness, of this bond. And that's why when Mashiach comes, you know, there won't be any illness. And in a sense, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, we're holding at that time already. He said, you know, open up your eyes. You know what that means? That means that today, be'emes, I, I know this is a hard thing to say, but this is be'emes, it's a happy thing to say. There's no excuse anymore to be sick. You're not allowed to be sick today. A yid is not allowed to be sick. You're not allowed to. First, the first thing you should know, you're not allowed to be sick. Why? God can't be sick. You can't either be sick. You're not allowed to be poor anymore. A yid is not allowed to be poor. If you don't have them, go make the money. Once you know you're a rich man, you're going to be rich, you're going to be rich. It's a, it's a switching it in your mind. Know that you have infinite money. You have infinite money, you have infinite health, you have infinite life. Sholem, you're complete, felter garnished, nothing is lacking to a Jew. Ultimate shlemus, ultimate oneness. That's Asada Betavis. With this I want to conclude with an appreciation of something that happened. A miracle that happened. And we're commemorating now this miracle. It's a year since Sholem Rabashkin was released on Zeis Hanukkah. And, you know, it's a year later and we're thinking about what, what happened. And it's a very important for us to realize that that's Mamish connected to whatever we spoke about tonight because his release from jail is part of the messianic process. It's not. People think, okay, it's a nice thing that happened. Fine. 
For some reason, everybody felt at that time when it happened, you remember, when we suddenly got the news and news spread like wildfire and it came and hit like a, a, a lightning bolt that Shalom Mordechai is released and suddenly spontaneous joy broke out across the world, singing and dancing in the streets of Borough Park, in Williamsburg, in Crown Heights, in Lakewood. And in a way that we've never seen before, it doesn't make any, and really doesn't make any sense. Because we know how fragmented the Jewish community is. We know that Chabad is their own, does their, marches to their own beat, that their own community, and Satmar is their own community, and Lakewood is its own community. We all have different approaches and different ideas, and in many ways we clash with each other, in many ways we don't get along with each other, and our philosophies sometimes are so, our ideal, ideological differences are so strong that we can't stand each other. You know, it's been the story, it's been the story for the Jewish people. Yet we've seen an unprecedented this achtos. And everybody can see that there is something that's mysterious about this achtos. And the achtos over here in the Robashkin case was something that began when he was arrested. When he was arrested, for some odd reason, the Jewish people suddenly, everybody, you know, felt it as a personal assault to themselves. You know, why was it that, 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 that women in Lakewood would say every day, Davin in there to heal him and plead? And Mamish, you know, Davin topped this with tears for Sholom Mordechai ben Rivka, Halevi, for his release. What's all this to with a butcher from Postville, Iowa? Why a butcher from Postville, Iowa? What even is that your problem? I mean, you never met him, you don't know him, you don't have friends that know him, you have a different community. He's a complete. You know, why? And people across, first of all, how much money was raised from all across, and how many people were, and not just gave up a little check. Satmer Chsidim. And I mentioned in Borough Park the other night, there was this, 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 this big uh, uh, celebration for him. Satmer Chsidim were the, 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 the biggest askanim, meaning those that were involved in working whatever they can to raise the money and to help with his release. And they put themselves in, believe, and effort with heart and soul. Rabbi Lipschitz from, 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 from the Yated Neman, okay? This is a Litvish newspaper, Yeshivish. Well, it's not, not necessarily the most Chabad friendly. And they were the ones who took on the case. He was the strongest advocate for Sholem Mordechai Rubashkin. It was unbelievable. And it resulted in this tremendous kiss that we received from God on Zeus Hanukkah. Unbelievable display of the Eberster's love to the Jewish people by doing this miracle, but the way it was received, and it wasn't like no one, no one created it. It happened spontaneously, an outburst of love, unprecedented. You know, it never happened in history because it wasn't a big tzaddik. Now, if you take a look at Shalom Ardechai's behavior in prison, it's unbelievable. Listen to the way he talks. Listen to his amuna. Listen to his bitachan. It's unbelievable. Everybody should, should listen to his speech he gave in Borough Park. I just, I, 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 you're humbled when you see a person who, for one day in eight and a half years, knowing that he's going to have to sit another 18 years, that he said, uh, it just blew my mind. He said, I never had a sad day. Because he had such powerful bitachan and amuna. And the way he didn't flinch for, didn't give in every small thing in Yiddishkeit to him, he was going to fight for, and he got his way. Unbelievable. But still, he's a butcher from, from Iowa. And not I like it with a big rebel like the Balatanias in jail, or you know, Reb Chaim Kenevsky, you know, was in you know, needs a Yeshua, whatever. Some other big tzaddik needs something that everybody is moved to the core because he's a god or It's a simple yid. It's a Jew. What happened? What happened is that this is part of Moshiach. Our essence is revealed. 
And just like we are one with the Eberster, we are one with, with each other. And the essential Yiddish Neshama, our essential godliness of our soul, which is what, 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 what we're me and you, no matter what kind of shaitl you wear, long or short, or with a, with a hat, or a tichel, or this kind, or that kind, or, 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 or you cover your hair, or you don't exactly cover your hair all the way, or a little bit like this, or like that, or what kind of hat you wear, and what kind of shtashtraimel, or, or, or these things become suddenly irrelevant. And you can't explain it. It just, in other words, we, 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 and it's not, again, it's a maturity. It's not something that's, it's not like someone got up and taught this. It happened, it happened like on its own. It happened on its own. And Bishas Maisu, when it happened last year, the tremendous explosion of joy, everybody felt Mashiach, because that is Mashiach. In a sense, I would want to say an interesting thing. I, I, again, you really have to be a, a tzaddik or someone who knows was Titzach and Himmel, what's going on in, in the, in, on high to be able to say this. So I can't say it with certainty, but this is my hergish. And I think that, you know, Baruch Hashem, Hashem had given me this chus to learn chasidus for so many years and to teach it, that hopefully certain, you know, ways of thinking has hopefully developed in, in my mind that I, I, that, I'm in, that I hope I can be machavan al-emes, I'm saying something that's true. I think the reason why everybody in, felt, dafk in this case, that there was a personal assault to, every, to each and every Jew and we felt we took it so personally, was because, you know, we're holding right now when the Shekhinah is going to exit, exit the Gullahs. We, the Jewish people, are coming out of the Gullahs. That's what it is. And we know that the nation that, that, that hosts the Jewish people is the wealthiest nation. That's the way it is. The most powerful nation is the one where... The, why? Because where the most Jews are, that's where the Shekhinah is, and where the Shekhinah is, that's where the Bracha is. The Shekhinah is the source of life. It's just a story. You can look through the it says in many svarim. The it's just a historical fact. Wherever the Jews are, that's the nation that prospers. So since the last part of history, the Jews in the United States of America is the most Jews. So the United States prospered on the on the most greatest way. But now it's changing. The demographics are changing. Most of the Jews are already in Eretz Yisrael because it's already kibbutz Goliath. We're already coming to the point where we're all returning to Eretz Yisrael. The Shechina is leaving. Subconsciously, there are certain forces of unholiness that don't want to leave go of the power. So what did they do? They took prey. So that's why they, the whole arrest was so vicious. There was something so vicious about it. And we felt the viciousness of it. And the Semitic, this, you can feel it. There was some achzarius. The reason is because it came from real klipa. It came from real dark uh, f- uh, forces of darkness that are standing in the way of Mashiach. And what did they do? So they took one Jew, and when they grabbed that Jew, it's like a, and they clamped shut like a crocodile in his jaws, holding him in this vicious way. But they weren't holding him because they wanted to hold Shalom Mordechai Rubashkin. By holding Shalom Mordechai Rubashkin, okay, you can say in a sense he, 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 he's, in, he's responsible for the nurturing of the Jewish people by providing the shechita, food. So in a sense he did. He was, he was a ish tziburi, he's a, he's a communal person. By holding him, they're holding Am Yisrael, they're holding the Jewish people. I think the reason why Shalom Mordechai was able to have such emun and bitachan, it's such incredible, I mean, to his credit, the Ebrister should bench him, and to the Hasidus that he learned, and the education that he had, and kolakavot for that. And we, I admire him tremendously, but I think it's something much deeper. I think it was the Shekhinah that was with him in Golos, because what they meant, they didn't mean him, they meant the Shekhinah, they meant that power, that's why they're holding on to him. This is all subconscious, by the way, it's not that they're, someone is thinking this consciously, but this has to do with the spiritual source above, of the Zion, of the Ayan Umais, of the ministering angels above, holding on and siphoning and sucking the blood, holding on to, to a, so to speak, a hostage. We're holding him here. 
And then suddenly, and that's why it was so, it touched us so deeply. It reached every Jew, because every Jew on some subconscious level felt it. And that's why it's an interesting thing. You know, a, a regular person is in jail. Where does he, how does he get released? Either he serves his time, or, you know, he gets, a, he appeals, and a judge, you know, a judge rules, or a jury finds him innocent, a judge, whatever. Or you can even go get it up, you see, and in, in, a travesty and injustice was done, so you can have the attorney, attorney general, uh, you, know, get in, you know, change uh, his verdict or whatever it is. But in this case, it wasn't any of these people. It was the most powerful person in the entire world. The president of the United States himself signed the commute his sentence. And presidents don't do this usually until their last year, and he did this the first person that he, first or second person that he pardoned. Very unusual. And the reason why he was a president is because the Shekhinah is going to be released not by a, a stama judge by someone. It's the president himself that did it. Unbelievable. So this is an incredible mace of the Giyula. It's part of the redemption. That's why it came the same week that Yerushalayim was also announced as the Jewish capital. These are all tremendous developments of Moshiach in the world. And we have to appreciate it. We have to know that. But what's greater than everything was this deep essential essence that came out in this achtos and in this celebration and in this oneness. And if we can only maintain this achtos and only bring stronger and realize it's okay for us to have different opinions, it's okay for us to have complete different ideological uh, uh, approaches to Yiddishkeit and, and different things, but we still are one. And when we recognize this and appreciate it and understand this, we, 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 we are furthering Mashiach. We are actualizing, making it happen. And Be'ezus Hashem, Be'kot of Mamish, any moment and any day, we will see the completion and the full Ge'ula Shalema. May it happen right now, 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 and now. And uh, we should, this year, Hasarah B'tevis, we should already have, as the Rambam says, Yahab Yom Tovim will be the greatest Yom the 10th day of the 10th month, the greatest Yom and we will experience the ultimate guf nehenam in guf that the Abishter is going to enjoy the intimacy with the Jewish people, and we will enjoy the intimacy with God. May we see it now. <laughs> ביחד זה יותר חזק מניצחון ואהבת לרעך כמוך זה הכלל הראשון